Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, mi gente. Welcome to another episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast, a podcast created to share the stories of everyday people doing positive things in communities of color, all while sipping on a glass of wine. In this episode, I get the chance to speak with Aurora Colelo, who at the age of 35 with four small children was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. She has never taken any medication for MS and uses food and lifestyle changes as medicine, which has saved her life. Her story has been featured in Shape Magazine, Latina Magazine, as well as Fox News, ABCLA, and other TV shows. She is a graduate of the Institute for Functional Medicine Coaching Program, a coach, writer, speaker, and is passionate about sharing her story to give others inspiration and hope while teaching them how the body can heal through diet and lifestyle changes. So grab your glass of wine and join us for The Healing Chisme. I'm super excited because I am here with somebody who I met online on Facebook. Her name is Aurora Colelo, right? Mm-hmm. Pronouncing that correctly. Yes, yes. And she has a wonderful, just truly interesting story that I cannot wait to get to. But before we get to that, we have to get to the wine because right. we always do the wine before the chisme. So today we are drinking a Sauvignon Blanc by the infamous Goose. It's 2018 and is a New Zealand wine. Ooh. Yeah, so I thought it would be interesting to try something totally different. So, salud. Salud. Let's take a taste. Mm. What do you think? I love it. There's just enough sweetness. I like sweet. Okay, perfect. Sweet too. That's because I I'm not a big sweet person, mm-hmm. and so I was trying to find something, and I was literally at the store like looking up wines online as I would as I was watching them. So I always tell people I like what I like. It doesn't need to be super pricey, and this wine was actually eleven ninety nine. Oh my goodness! Wow. Yeah. What a thought. So I'm all about being budget conscious too. If somebody wants to send me a nice bottle of wine that costs a lot, I will say no, but just say it. So Aurora, you are Colombiana. You're originally from Colombia. Yes. So tell me about that experience. Like how old were you? What was the experience like moving from Colombia to the United States? Yeah. So it's actually a really interesting story in itself. Could be probably its own podcast. (laughs) So um, I was actually born here, but what happened was my parents came here illegally from uh, from Colombia at a time where, like in the 70s, where it was a very different time than now. They overstayed their time and they stayed for a while. And I was I was born here during that time. So within weeks, we moved back to Colombia. And during that time, they kept trying to 
get the paperwork the right way so they could come here. But of course it showed up that they had overstayed their time. And so they were kind of like, this is going to take a while. You guys, you know, we're here legally and, and all that. So my mom was devastated. Her dream since she was young was to come to the States. She had little postcards up and little things up in her room. And she used to tell her family that one day she'd live in a house where she'd push a button and the door would open and she'd park her car. She didn't know that it was a garage. I mean, oh my she came from a very poor area of Bogota, Colombia. And so, so it was this dream of hers. So it was kind of like her dream was shattered, especially after being here and seeing the States and experiencing it for a few months that they were here. So... In Colombia, there's a university called the Javeriana. And um, at the Javeriana, President Carter was speaking. And my mom found out, and she wrote a letter to him. And in complete, like, desperation of a mother and with a lot of hope, uh-huh. after he spoke, she before right before he got to say, she ran over to security, like, sobbing and, like, please, can you give this letter to him? Let him read this letter I mean my daughter's American we, we want to raise her here we, we love this kind of like just pouring our heart and that was it she gave it to him and just kind of hope for the best you know <laughs> most of us that is like bold though I love so that that just just shows the determination your mom had and I have a feeling it has trickled down I mean, yes, absolutely <laughs> for sure so after trying to get these meetings and getting the things done to get their paperwork um, established that they could come here and things just really going, you know, six months, nine, a year, wait, all these things, she got she received a letter for them to come in for their interview. So I always ask her, do you have a copy of that? Like, do you remember exactly what it said? She's oh like, my, no. Oh my gosh, that would have been awesome. So like, someone saw it, you know, I don't know, somebody that had some pull, something saw that letter and maybe it was the man who took it and it touched his heart to see this mom. I mean, she was, she said she was just very emotional and had a very short time to express to him the importance of that. And yeah. so, and so we came, we came and I'll, I remember, you know, seven and it was a huge culture shock. We came during the snow and I remember, um, wait, during the snow, where did you move to? to, I'm sorry. So we moved to Northern Virginia by DC. Okay. Okay. So my parents knew some nuns in Colombia (laughs) who hooked them up with this family in this, in, in Northern Virginia. Uh And so, um, they had actually met him during that time that they were here and they, they were stayed um, to be illegal uh-huh. here. And so um, they got to be friends with him. And so when we came, we were going to stay with him. But right before we were coming, he passed away. This man. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Amazing man. And so they allowed my parents, the family, allowed my parents and our family, I had an older brother, three years older than me, to stay in this house with, with my family there. And so I just remember thinking this house was a mansion. It had stairs. Like we lived in this tiny apartment. Um, there was snow on the ground. I don't remember what, what month it was, but, you know, it was obviously winter. And back then it would really snow. You don't see snow like that anymore. You know, snow that would cover cars. And that hasn't happened in that, that part of the East Coast for so many years. But when, when we were growing up there, it was very common. So we moved there. That's what it was like. There was just tons of snow everywhere, and it was just huge culture shock to me. Um, being in the snow, going to school, and not understanding anything, and sitting in a classroom and 
Did you speak English when you came? No, I didn't speak any English at all and hadn't been exposed to it at all, like not through TV, nothing. So it was really hard. And it's funny because I was actually talking to my husband about this the other day. It was hard for a long time. Like I experienced that shock. It took me a really long time, even until I got older. I, I just was in kind of culture shock. <laughs> I had a hard time adjusting um, to language and just school and kids and everything with, with the culture was really difficult. So, but yeah, I mean, it was looking back, you know, it was, it was exciting. Everything was new and different and the language and everything. So that's crazy crazy. times. <laughs> Just talking about that and living in Virginia, what first brought you more West coast? Because now, I mean, it's just so amazing. Obviously there's a lot of story in between, but we're here to talk about something very specific. Yes. So there's a lot of story in between. And now you're here living in California, living in North County, San Diego. Uh-huh. You are the marketing director of this very large real estate firm. So yes. like, how was that? Like, what was the transition moving East coast, West coast? What brought you West coast? So it's funny. So we were living in Miami. I was working there and I met my husband there. And uh, it was like a very quick romance, <laughs> marriage, kids, one after the other. So we had had our third baby and my husband really wanted to be closer to the family and have the kids close to the family, which was upstate New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we decided, okay, we're going to move from, from Miami to upstate New York. I wasn't really on board I wasn't, I don't know, I wasn't as outspoken then. I think I just kind of was like, okay, whatever's best for the family. But I had a lot of hesitations. And so when we get to upstate New York, I did not like it at all. It was very difficult for me. It's not very culturally diverse. And this isn't like New York City. I mean, you're talking up by Canada. You know, it was freezing. It snowed on Mother's Day. It was just like sometimes you'd walk out and there was like ice storms. And we're like Miami people. I was in Miami for 10 years. I became like when I got to Miami, I felt like I'm home. I love it here. I can go and get my like arroz con pollo and my platanocito and I have my Colombian music. And I'm like, this is amazing here. I love this, you know, and I I just right away felt at home when I moved there. And so um, I was, I just really missed it. It was really hard for me to adjust. So I got really sad (laughs) and I would call my husband crying every day. Like, I don't like it. I want to get out of here. It's cold. It's this, it's that. So my husband was in real estate at the time and he was coming here for a conference. And I used to do business here. Uh, When I lived in Miami, I had clients here. And so I used to come to San Diego quite often and I loved it. I just thought this is so amazing. Like there's the mountains and the beach. How could you and not you don't have it, like right? that crazy humidity? And it's like there's Latins and there's everything. It's like a cultural mix of every I just I loved it here and I loved coming here for business. So when he was coming here for the conference, I said, Let me ask you a favor. Why don't you stay a little longer and check it out and see how you like it? Because I can't live here anymore and I want to move and I don't know where, but I cannot stay here. It's just not for me. Um, and so he called me from the conference and he goes, I love it. We're moving here. And I didn't think he'd ever move there because it's so far from the family and, you know, he's right. on the East coast and everything. And I said, Oh my gosh, really? What have you seen? And he goes, I'm at the airport. I flew over. I saw the ocean and I saw mountains. I'm sold. And I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so very crazy. I was pregnant with our fourth baby. We knew not one person here except for a person, a hub. At the time, one of the top agents in the country was at this conference and Robert introduced himself and he was based out of um, San Diego. And so that's who he was coming to work with. And that's the only person we knew. And so we moved here 
in 08, right when the market crashed. Oh, <laughs> God. And that's how we came here. Just complete, total risk that we took. Yeah. Um, and it was worth it. I'm very glad we did. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So you've been here. So, so you've been here about 12 years then. Yes. Yes. That's so. Wow, I can't even say that. I can't believe it's been that long. Yes. <laughs> 12 years. Okay. That's so crazy. So mm-hmm. that means that really what we're here to talk about is that you have multiple sclerosis and you have been doing really a lot of crazy, wonderful, amazing things as somebody who lives with multiple sclerosis. Yes. That means, so what, after two years after coming here, you were diagnosed. So the, the question I really want to ask mm-hmm. is, based on some of your interviews, you said one day you basically like woke up in your right eye, you couldn't, you was like blind, you couldn't see. Being here, moving to San Diego, like being here a couple of years at that point, had you noticed anything in your body prior to, did you think it was just like stress? Did you like, tell me kind of how that diagnosis happened? What, like what led to that diagnosis? How did that happen? And so, um, we hadn't been here that long. Um, we had four kids under the age of seven. Our youngest was a year old. Okay. First of all, I cannot believe you have four children. It's just- oh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I, um, had thought I was always healthy because I've always been thin and I always thought I'm skinny. I'm healthy. I don't, I'm, or I don't need to worry about what I eat. I'm skinny. I don't need to work out. I'm, and that's so false. You know, it does not attribute to, you know, your body type doesn't always go right with, you know, whether you're healthy or not. It right. doesn't, and, and so I had that false view of what health was. And so, um, I had had some things happen after I had my daughter. I had like a weird vertigo for a while um, where you're just like, things just start spinning and it was really scary. And they did testing and things like that, but they didn't find anything. But other than that, nothing. I hadn't had anything happen um, to me. I thought I was healthy. And then all of a sudden I started experiencing this like twitching in my right eye. It started with twitching and then it was... Was it like often, like all the time? Often, like often, very often. And actually, that's a sign that you're under high stress when when your eye is twitching. And um, I definitely was under high stress, but I wasn't, I didn't know how to pay attention to my body at that point or what. I just kept going on with my my life. And then it turned into an excruciating pain in my right eye, in the back of my right eye. And then the vision loss began. At first, it was like someone took a squiggly, an eraser and erased a squiggly line in the center of my eye. And then it was from that line down. And then one day I was just completely blind in my right eye. Couldn't see anything. And it was in a matter of a week that all of this happened. Oh my God. Very scary. Mm -hmm. So what was your first thought when that happened? Like I would be terrified. I was really scared, but funny enough, I thought I must have an infection. Like I never associated, I didn't know much about health or my body at that point that this could be so many other things. And so I thought, oh, you know, I probably have an infection. I was due for a checkup on my contact lenses, um, my annual checkup. And I thought, you know, I'll just get my eyes checked out. And when I went, the first time was when the when the vision loss began, I immediately went to a specialist and he or an eye doctor. And he's like, you need to go right to a specialist. Like, this is serious. And um, before I went, before I could go to the next appointment for the specialist is when I lost vision. So I was rushed for an MRI at that point because they knew it was really serious. So I was rushed for an MRI immediately to see what was going on. How quickly did they come back with the diagnosis of MS? So the very next day after my MRI, I went into a a neurologist office. And again, I'm thinking it's something 
with just my eye. It must be have an infection or something's going on with my eye. And I went by myself because we hadn't lived here that long, like a little over a year. I didn't know a lot of people. The kids were so little. And so my husband stayed at home with the kids and I went in by myself. And the neurologist pulls up my brain on the screen and he's like, this is your brain. And all those white spots all over your brain are brain lesions. And he said, your optic neuritis in conjunction with these lesions is multiple sclerosis. He said, it's incurable. It's progressive. You will be on medications your whole life. You'll never get your vision back because you had an extreme case of optic neuritis, which is inflammation of the optic nerve. So usually optic neuritis is is blurry vision, partial vision loss, double vision, but I was blind. And he said, um, you know, you need to get on medications right away. And I'm so sorry to tell you because of some of your lesions are on your brainstem, you'll be in a wheelchair within the next five years. So if you live in a two-story home, I strongly suggest you start making arrangements with your family to move to a one-story home because this, this can progress quickly. And so I'm 35 years old. Oh, my god! I have four kids under the age of seven. I'm in California where, like, I literally know no one. I have no family here. I have no friends where, I mean, I'm just meeting people. And I have this crazy diagnosis. And it was absolutely terrifying. As I went home and did the worst thing you can do when you're diagnosed is research on the internet. <laughs> oh, yeah. Then you're like, oh, I'm dying tomorrow. And I heard every like, wah, wah, wah. Sorry. Sorry. You know, everybody talking about, you know, it's horrible. And I wake up. I don't know what's wrong. And like yesterday I could walk. And now I'm in a wheelchair. It happened that bad. You know, I'm just hearing all these things. And I'm like, my life's over. Over. So for people who don't know, what exactly is multiple sclerosis or MS? So multiple sclerosis is an autoimmune disease. In a medical term, because I have a different view, obviously, what I've gone through, is that your body's attacking itself. So it feels like it needs to attack to uh, something that's off uh, on with your immune system. Mm-hmm. And so that's what causes these, these lesions on the brain, which is scarring, which then cause multiple symptoms, which is why it's called multiple sclerosis. You have multiple lesions. You can have cognitive issues. Um, you cannot walk. You can have a lot of pain. You can wake up every day or even throughout the day have many different symptoms. Numbness in your arms. I've heard of something called the MS hug, which is like just this, like someone squeezing you. You know, a lot of cognitive um, things, depression. I think the worst is definitely that your body just starts, that you start declining very quickly. And many people with multiple sclerosis do end up in a wheelchair. Um, and I just heard a couple of weeks ago, a couple of people that passed away from the disease as they, as they get older and the symptoms, they can't come back from the symptoms because there's different types of MS. Mm-hmm. Um, there's relapsing remitting, there's progressive MS, and they all kind of move move the, the direction goes, you know, different for everybody, depending on how quickly the progression is. Right. So it's really scary. You have no idea every day what you're going to get or in five or 10 years where you're going to be because you could be fine one year and the next year completely be disabled. It happens. That is so scary. And I'm sure like already you're fearful and you're frightened, you're terrified because mm-hmm. of what the doctor's telling you. Then you go home, get on the computer and you're scaring yourself even more from all of the things that you're reading. Mm-hmm. What was the next step? Like, did you start going on the pills? Did you start like, what was the kind of next step or, and what was the reaction that your husband had? I mean, that's like, mm-hmm. that's something that changes the entire family. I would imagine. Oh, t- totally. So my husband's amazing man. And I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for what he said to me one day, because I am a very positive, like happy, upbeat person. And I was so depressed every day. I was crying. I was going through the grieving, you know, stages. I was 
crying and then one day I'd just be really angry like how could this happen to me why why would God give me four kids if I'm gonna be in a wheelchair how am I gonna take care of them and then I'd be crying looking at them like oh my gosh I'll never you know and it was just this crazy thing and and he sat me down one day and he said listen I understand you're going to mourn your health and this is hard for you it's hard for all of us but you need to fight this because if you keep going down the path you're going in here, like in your mind, right. you will be in a wheelchair within five years. Like you're going to make that a reality. So you got to fight, you know, and, and you have to ask God, like what he wants to show you in this and like ask for direction and fight. And I was like, Oh my gosh, he's right. Like I am not like, that would be, if someone asked me, if you got diagnosed with this or that, what would you do before it happened? I'd be like, I would fight. I'm Latina. I would, you know, like, that's, that's how I am. And I was just a mess. And, I'm like, and then when it actually happened, happened, totally opposite of what I thought. And so at that point, I'm like, oh, he's right. Like, I have to. I'm like, I don't know how or what I'm going to do, but I have to. And it was like, it was a very pivotal time in my diagnosis. Cause at that moment, I'm like, I am not going in this direction. I'm going this way and I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to do is I'm going to fight as much as I can and figure what out, what to do here. And so that's kind of how it, how it started. And I started down a different path. So you didn't, even, did you ever go down the path of taking the pills or anything at that point? Or so what did you just like, okay, let me see what, what, other things are out there. So I had a, um, a stack of brochures I was given to look through with all the different medications. Mm-hmm. Some are, at the time, there was no pill. Now there is a pill, but it was injections, different kinds of injections. The, the, the um, side effects were really, really bad. So I was getting really nervous because I'm very sensitive, which is why we have four kids really close <laughs> together. I couldn't go on the pill. I, could, I mean, I'm, my body's super sensitive to things. So... I was really scared looking at these side effects. I'm like, I wonder which one and like which benefit outweighs this. And, you know, I was just really worried about what to do. So I used to be a journalist or a marketing director at the Washington Times. So I used to team up with a journalist. I was a marketing director and they'd send us off to different countries to cover big political events. So I kind of went into like journalist mode. I got a big notebook. I emailed, I wasn't on social media at the time. I emailed everybody I knew and I said, this, this is what I got diagnosed with. Who do you know that has this that I can talk to so yeah. I can figure out what to do here? And people would say, oh, I have, you know, my mom, my mom in Australia or my sister here. There's a mom at the school. And, and I would just start meeting with them, talking on the phone, Skyping, whatever I had to do to get information. I asked them all the same questions. When did you get it? How were you diagnosed? You know, what symptoms do you have? What medication are you on? How is it working for you? And what I found after 30 people that I saw this big notebook on, mm-hmm. they all got diagnosed with MS. They were all on medication. And 10, 15, 20 years on the line, they all still had MS. They were still sick. And now they had MS and fibromyalgia or MS and rheumatoid arthritis. And a lot of them had to keep switching medications because their body would reject it after a while. Right. And so I'm thinking, I don't want to live my life like this. They'd say, yeah, I take my medication on Friday. So that Saturday... I'm kind of like I have the flu. Sunday I'm a little better, so Monday I can go back to work. I'm like, I do not. You don't want even that. have a life. That's no quality of life. I don't want that. But I didn't know what other options I had. One of the people I interviewed was on medication, but he said I also go to this center in Encinitas. That's a holistic center. Oh, so local. Yes, they teach me how to eat and what supplements to take that will help me. And that was so foreign to me. I'm like, what does that have to do with anything? Like this is a disease. You just kind of get it, mm-hmm. and it evolves however it's going to evolve like what does food or supplements or any of this have to do with it so I was so curious so 30 days had passed I had been blind for 30 days 
I had the doctor saying, okay, like you got to pick something here. I had seen three of the top neurologists in San Diego at that point, one being an MS specialist trying to get like a something, some other, some hope, a different opinion. It was always the same. Like you have MS, it's progressive and curable medication. You'll be blind your whole life, wheelchair. It was 10 lesions, you know, they all just confirmed each other. Right. Um, and so I thought, okay, I'm just going to go to this place. I'm going to see what they have to say. And that's it. I'm just going to have to, if they don't say anything that makes sense, I'm going to have to pick a medication and go that route. And so I walk into this holistic center. I had never been exposed to alternative medicine or natural medicine or integrated, nothing like this. And I walk in and it was really a weird vibe for me. Like there was people hooked up to IVs, which I know now, you know, you can get vitamin B injections. Now it's a little more common because they right. have a lot of places. Yeah. But then like, I'd never seen this before. And, um, so I walk in and the doctor there tells me to lay down. I tell him what had happened to me and he starts massaging my neck. And I'm like, what are you doing? I don't need a massage. <laughs> I'm sick. I'm blind. I have four kids. I have this horrible diagnosis. I don't need a massage. And he's like, you don't understand your optic nerves connect through your neck, semi-optic nerves. And by doing this, it can stimulate your sight to come back. And then he had done all these tests on me before and he said, you're very deficient in so many things and minerals and supplements and you need to eat an anti-inflammatory diet and this is what this looks like. And I walked out of there having paid this huge bill that we probably couldn't even afford at the time because we literally got here in market crash, four kids. It was like the worst possible scenario, you know. Um, and I'm walking out this huge bag of supplements. It costs like $600. I can't remember how much the appointment costs. Um, and it never rains here, right? Like rarely rains, but it was pouring rain. And I just remember going to the car. I was soaking wet and just cried for like half an hour in the car. And I'm like, I just got conned by these crazy holistic people because I'm so desperate. And right. this is so sad that <laughs> this is the position I'm in. So when I got home, I got to calm down. I looked at what he had given me. And I thought, you know what? I've never really intentionally paid attention to how I eat or supplements. or I don't know anything about this. It can't hurt to follow what this guy's telling me at this point. So I, so I started following that and it was kind of like, take the supplement at this time and then you're going to eat this and then you're going to take this. And it was so it's really detailed, extremely detailed. It's all about solving the deficiencies in my body because a lot of times you can have a deficiency and it can come up like a symptom that then you go to a traditional doctor and they say, oh, I'm going to put you in my box of what diagnoses are and you, it looks like you have this. And it might just be that you're magnesium deficient, you don't drink enough water, and you're eating really crappy. Right. And it could just be that simple. Or you're totally stressed out and you don't know how to manage your stress, you know? So I began doing this, and within a few, within that week, I started seeing these sparks of light and color in my eye. So I got really excited, and I called the neurologist, and I said, I can see something in my eye. It's like firing off light and color. And he goes, yeah, that's just your nerves firing off. Don't get excited. Your vision's gone. That was an extreme case. I've never seen 30 days blind. Like, you're not going to get it back. Well, two weeks after just making these simple, simple diet changes, feeding my body like at a cellular level, solving the deficiencies in my body, I wasn't even exercising yet. Like, this is just food. And that's why we say food is medicine. Mm -hmm. I've lived it. My vision was back better than before because I was due for a contact checkup, like I told you, and I didn't go because I was blind in my eye, so I couldn't go. And when I when I got my vision back, I went into the doctor to my eye, and she goes, "Oh, your your prescription. We have to change it because your vision went up in your right eye." And I'm like, "Wait, what?" (laughs) 
Like I was just blind in that eye. And I'm telling you, my visions has gone up and you have to change my prescription. Like I was blind for 30 days in my eye. And that was a point where I was like, okay, I was literally blind. Now I can see. I have the top doctors in my Talk area. about amazing grace, right? Exactly, exactly. Literally blind and now you can see. Literally, I've lived it. And and so I thought, you know what? There's something that they don't know or something they're not telling me. And everything so far they've said hasn't happened. I'm, I can see and I you know, I need to see what else is what else there is to this. So I just completely went that direction, following the recommendations of these alternative doctors and focusing more on my diet and lifestyle. And I never went on medications uh, for MS. So, wow. so how, how long was it between that and then the time when you went back to the doctor? Or did you go back to the doctor immediately and say, yo, hello, guess what? I can see what's going on. Or like, what was, like, <laughs> I, I would, I want to. Totally I went back to my appointments and I would get a lot of, you're just getting lucky. You need to go on medication right away if you want to take care of your kids in the future. I had a doctor bang his fist on the table and goes, I have been to Tottenham in San Diego for 30 years. You're trying to tell me you're going to eat carrots and get better? <laughs> and it was so incredible. Like, that's why I always tell people, you know in your gut what is right for you. And your, I believe your body speaks. Like when my eye was twitching, my body was trying to tell me, okay, like enough, like stop, like you need to rest, you need to do self-care, like you're, you know, you had four kids fast, like you're stressed, like, I'm going to pay attention when my eye twitches now, it doesn't happen very often, it happens when you're under high stress, yeah, I'm going to pay attention, like, wait, what's going on, I never knew that, yeah, and your eyes have so many muscles, I believe like they're more muscles than any other organ in your body, and so you're, it it twitches, and so that happens, so pay it, always pay attention to what's happening, don't ignore anything, because your body's trying to speak, and we always ignore, because we're moving so quick, and we have so much to do, and you know, so yeah, so I just, um, Kind of lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the, the doctor banged his hand. And yes, said, and he said, and so, oh yeah, so I was saying, so I was so convinced that what I was doing was right, mainly based on what I experienced, that I was blind and I had my vision back better than before. And I had the, not just one, not just two, not just three doctors being one uh, MS specialist, tell me you'll never see again, that I knew what I was doing was right. And I felt so confident to get to go against my doctors at the time and tell them, no, I'm not going on. This is working for me. It's what I'm doing. It wasn't your medicine that brought me back to the vision. It was it was these things I did. So they weren't buying it. And, um, you know, early on, a lot of people would worry. We're worried. They're like, well, how about like in five years? Like, how are you going to be? How about 10? And sometimes it would worry me. But as time went on. And then I met this one doctor who has MS and same story. She was about, she was in a wheelchair and she changed her diet and she's out of a wheelchair. Now she's incredible. She was just in the doctors yesterday. I've teamed up with her on some projects. Yeah, I saw on your social media. Dr. Terry Walls. And and so I saw her story after a year of of being, uh, doing really well with my diagnosis. And I was like, huh, she's a lot older than me. And she was in a wheelchair and she's doing great. So she's a doctor. <laughs> she did all the. She did everything she knew as a doctor to do, and uh, and that was it for me. Like I'm like I, I I know that what I'm doing is right, and so I just continued on that path, and I started researching. I went to a bunch of different alternative doctors and Ayurvedic neurologists, which Ayurveda is the oldest study of medicine from the East, from India. So I learned all about herbs and how that can help you, and so I just started educating myself on all these different ways of healing the body, which is really amazing that is to be studying so cool. it and then actually seeing it happen in my body 
did you ever think so what like dietary because obviously being from Colombia you have like <laughs> you know yeah, yeah meat is a very big part of yeah, that yeah. so is that something that you continued as an adult like that type of Colombian diet and how has that shifted how has that changed or have you been able to incorporate that to be able to include like obviously culture is a very big thing for us yes, and food is huge yeah so how have you been able to kind of marry the two things so it's all about um having an anti anti-inflammatory diet right so a lot of the foods we eat and stress cause a lot of inflammation inflammation is the root cause of all disease all symptoms everything like my eye was inflammation of the optic nerve and so at the beginning i was really extreme i'm kind of like all or nothing I was very undisciplined with my food and how I ate and all of that because of the way I viewed food and weight and all that. And so I went very extreme because I had to because I was so not disciplined. So I was and out of fear. I was able to be disciplined for what could happen to my body. I was sugar-free, dairy-free, gluten-free, all of that for a long time. As my body got stronger and I kept getting stronger and healthier instead of sicker and weaker, like my doctor said, I started... I started realizing I don't have a healthy view of food. Like it's scaring me. Once I realized what I'm eating could be affecting these things that are happening to me. And I, and then I, I started getting healthier and I realized, okay, there has to be a middle ground here. You know, there has to be a way for me to incorporate and bananas and all these things. Meat is fine. It's just, you know, I believe the kind where we get our meat, how we cook our meat that makes it toxic meat in itself. I'm not, I am for being, eating more greens and vegetables than meats. I don't do a lot of meat, but I think it's important. We need it. I believe you can have a lot of deficiencies in your body if you're not eating good lean protein. And so um, I was able to, as I kind of went on my journey and learned more how to incorporate it and just kind of ease up and have fun with it and not have it be this scary, like, I can't touch you, cake. You're scaring me. <laughs> you know? I'm not and a sweets so, person. So for me, yeah. I'm like, if people could put stuff in front of me, like sweets, and I'm like, yeah, whatever. Oh, see, that's, <laughs> it's funny, right? Some people like go to the carbs and the whatever. Um, I'm, I'm a, like, give me like a sweet sugary drink. I'm in heaven. Give me oh, sugar. That's my thing. But the rest I can do without. You I'm know? the opposite. I am like the salty, savory. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like cheese, hello, cheese, wine. Like yeah. that's part of the whole wine and yeah. cheese thing. Yeah, I'm total opposite. But wasn't there a point where you kind of, were you not being as disciplined and then the lesions came back? So what happened was after my first year, I was doing better than I, I mean, I was healthier than I was before my diagnosis. I had no idea what healthy was until I started feeling healthy. Um, and my, I had had an MRI for, I had a couple of MRIs that year, like four of them, and they all showed the same 10 lesions. And then the last MRI, all my lesions were gone, which is just unbelievable. That's my neurologist so said, I have seen a lesion shrink and I've seen a lesion go away, but you have your 10 lesions are gone. And that was just the ones they could see because they give you a contrast in, in your MRI. So it's an injection. And so it lights up the lesions in your yeah. brain. So who knows how many I had? I mean, can't see them all all the time on these MRIs, uh, but there was none visible at all. So it was really amazing. So at that point, I started racing triathlons as well, which because I could I never worked out before. I didn't even know a pair of tennis shoes. All my shoes had big high heels. <laughs> so I I thought, well, before, you know, I 
you go through that kind of like you're going to die. Like, okay, what, what do I want to do before my body falls apart? I'm in a wheelchair. Like, right. What ha- things haven't I done? What, kind of like your bucket list. Bucket list, exactly. And that was one of my things was like a triathlon. And there's a whole story behind that. Um, and so I was racing and or training. I think I had I, I had maybe done my first race or was going towards it and had this MRI. And um, it showed that all the lesions were gone and that I felt I'm healed. I don't have this anymore. This is great. And so I, I didn't go back to how I was living before because I couldn't. I just felt so great. I didn't want to go back. But I definitely started slacking on some things that year. And that year I had three symptoms. So one was I was staying up really late again, which isn't good. You need your sleep. And between 10 and 2, your body rejuvenates. For every hour between 10 and 2 that you sleep, it's like double rejuvenation for your body and the type of sleep you get. So it's really important. I'm like total night out. So I'm going to bed like at one. I was starting these triathlon teams and doing all this stuff. And, and I just, I, I went to move my hand and it was numb from like my elbow down. And I thought it was asleep. So I was going like this. I'm like hitting on the table. I'm like, what is that? Oh shoot. It's, it's like, no. And I, I looked it up and that's, that's an MS something like things just go numb and it's painful. And that lasted till the next day. The worst one, though, was something called trimenial neuralgia, trimenial neuralgia, which is trimenial nerve in the face, and it fires off, and it's like the worst earache you've ever experienced, someone stabbing your eye, the worst toothache, the worst migraine, just shooting throughout your face, taking turns, and people, even who don't have MS, have this. It's, um, It's a horrible symptom of many things, and they call it the suicide disease because it is, you can't bear it. It's, it says, um, when you Google it, the most unbearable, unbearable pain known to man. It's just, it's cruciating. So once I had that, I realized, okay, this isn't just something that like is going to go and I can, you know, continue on. Like I've always have this, I have a mass in my body and I know what to do to keep it away. I'm going to do it and I'm not going to slack. And so that's kind of, you know, what showed me that, just like if anything, really, if you don't keep up on your health, right. eventually something's going to happen. If you're going to be stressed out for 20 years, something's going to happen. You know, it's just our bodies. We don't treat our bodies well. And I always tell my kids, be good to your body and it'll be good to you. As my daughter down to <laughs> <laughs> you know? She's like, but this tastes good. Yeah, she's like, well, I'm going to make her it. I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of other things you can do. <laughs> So you run, tra- so you got into tra- how the heck did that happen? Okay. Like I, my goal for me is to be able to just even walk a half marathon. Yeah. It gets awesome. Let alone like doing a triathlon. How did that happen? Like, where did that even come from? Yeah. It's a crazy story. So when I was graduating from high school, I wanted to backpack it through Europe or somewhere. Right. And my parents were like, Oh yeah, no, they were super strict Latinos, born again, Christians. I mean, like I had it all against me. <laughs> I wouldn't go anywhere. Yeah, no, couldn't no sleepovers or like what? Yeah. I had all that like first generation. <laughs> um, so they weren't having it, but, but they were very involved in the church and, and Christianity. And so Growing up, I had done these mission outreaches with um, this organization called YWAM, which stands with for youth with a mission. And it's for adults. It's for everyone. It's just the name. And so I did like, um, like I work with street kids in, in Colombia. I did like I work with kids in, in Venezuela. We did all over New York. We did an outreach to like homeless people. And so I had been doing this stuff during the summer. Well, I found out that after 
you know, once you're out of school, they have these longer term programs for adults. And so I decided to join one of them. And I went to something called the DTS, Disciple Trainingship School. And you could pick where you wanted to do it because they're all over the world. And so I went to Hawaii for my training to Kona and my oh, outreach sounds was really messed yeah, up. Yeah. Oh, so horrible. <laughs> so it's funny because I lived in Northern Virginia, but by the time I graduated, I had been to Kona like 10 times because my dad loved Hawaii. He fell in love with it every Christmas where at home it was all the real snow. I was like with palm trees with fake snow on them, like, you know, at Luau's and all like my dad just loved it. And he worked really, really hard. And that was like the one time he could get away was during that time. And that's where he'd want to go. So it was, pretty consistent in my life. So I think I just felt comfortable to go there for that and, and, and live there. While I was there, the Ironman World Championships were taking place. That's like the Olympics of our sport, mm-hmm. the, t- the best of the best. It's like everyone's dream to do this race in triathlon. And so our group for this Disciple Trainingship School was signed up as volunteers for this race. And so I was there and I had pictures like handing waters to like Mark Allen, who's like a legend in our sport, it would be similar to handing a basketball to Michael Jordan when you were young or something mm-hmm. like that. I mean, just amazing athletes who were doing something I'd never heard of, like running, you know, a full marathon, swimming for two miles, biking a hundred miles through the lava fields of Hawaii where it's hot and it's oh. crazy. But they were like machines going through and it was so impressive, women, men. And then at the end of the race, they have a cutoff time and you'd see a lot of the people who are just regular people like you and me who had a goal and had qualified, got into this race. Now they're, you know, they've trained to perform on that day of this race in such harsh conditions. And there was a woman, I'll never forget. She was this woman who was running through and it was like the finish line was very close and it's late. So literally this thing starts really early in the morning. So her body has been going nonstop, right? And now it's nighttime. It's almost cut off. And she's like hunched over her hands, like kind of twisted in because she's just, who knows, she can't take it, you know? And in those days, I don't think they knew as much about nutrition and how to recover and all the stuff we have now, all the information we have online to do these kind of races. And so it amazes me that people even made it. So this woman was going through and I remember going up to her and, and going, come on, you can do it. You're almost there. Go. And I started running with her, like just jogging. She was barely running. It was more like she's trying to Does she look at, I'd be giving you that evil look like, what? Oh, okay. Thanks for running a hundred yards with me. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. No, this woman uh, was much older than me and much fitter. Trust me. I mean, these women are amazing athletes at all. I mean, you have women competing or like in their 60s, 70s. It's incredible to watch. So I was just kind of encouraging her to go. And then I, I had no idea what I was at, like the magnitude of what I'm at. It's kind of like you're volunteering for the Olympics and then you watch the guy with the torch running through. I'm like, wait, what? Wait, what is this? Oh, shoot. I'm at the Olympics. You know, I'm at the Olympics for this sport and I have no idea what I'm a part of. And when it, when I when I run her and up to the finish line, I'm like, you made it, go. And I see her running through this massive shoot of, of like humans that make the shoot of Iron Man. Mm-hmm. There's cameras because there's all kinds of coverage, news coverage. There's lights there. I mean, it's loud. There's people screaming and cheering everybody on. And I see this woman run through this massive shoot of people and pass the finish line. And they, the announcer says, congratulations. I can't remember her name. Congratulations, you know, Sarah, you are an Iron Man. And the next person, congratulations, Mark, you're an Iron Man. And I just stood there and watched. And I'm like, this is amazing. And I had chills like all over my body. I'm 19, like yeah. out of high school. I have no idea. And 
what I felt at that moment was something I had felt before. And it was just being inspired by something. I'd never been inspired by anything like right. that, to feel it to that magnitude at that age. It was incredible. So fast forward 15 years, you know, I have this MS diagnosis. I'm 35. I'm married, four kids. And I'm like remembering that feeling. It like came back to me as I'm morning and, you know, going over all this stuff I want to do. And I'm like, I can't do an Ironman distance, but I'm going to do a triathlon. Like I'm going to do that. And there's different levels of triathlon. It's like triathlons, right? right? There's 5K, 10K, half marathon, you know. So, so in triathlon, it's the same thing. So I decided I went for the sh- second to shortest distance, which now would be like a warm up for me. <laughs> it took me nine months to train for it. Like I said, had no no tennis shoes. I had to buy like workout shoes. Couldn't even run a mile. I mean, the first time I ran for a few minutes, I thought I was going to throw up and I wasn't sure how long I had been running. I had literally been running not even a minute and my body just couldn't take it. I was so out of shape. Um, and I didn't have a bike and we were so broke then. So I didn't even, I trained at the gym on in spin classes and at the gym, I got a bike like a little bit, a little while before my race uh, that I ordered a bike online. Um, and I just kept training and it was amazing because for in my brain and in my body, I wasn't just trying to train for this triathlon and cross that finish line, but that finish line represented to me beating this disease that I could do it. So when I, when I did it, when I crossed, it was like, wow, like I just did something I never thought I'd do. I swam at mission Bay. I ran, I rode a bike. Like I trained my body to do something that I couldn't do. And so I know I can do this. And it was just this confidence that gave me the security that, I, I was strong and I was going to be able to conquer anything. Well, I think you took your husband's advice and fought for sure. If I that's did. what you're doing. <laughs> yes. So have you, have you done an Ironman? So I have done 51 triathlons. My, my 51st triathlon I did in Malibu recently at the Nautica Malibu triathlon. It's like a very iconic race. I've been so 51, five, one, you've done five, I've been honored to be their featured athlete for six years at, at that race. They have like a celebrity section. JLo raced that after she had her twins, which made me fall in love with her even more because <laughs> that's badass to have twins and then race. But what you're doing is badass too, Thank because you. <laughs> you have them. I mean, yeah. technically it's, do you ever go into remission or something you already always have? Well, that's arguable. I believe that I don't have it anymore. Okay. It's been a ele- it was 11 years in December. I've never been on medications. I've never had a symptom. I don't have any signs of it whatsoever on my brain or anywhere yet. I have every, I went through by three neurologists, every test to prove I had it. Right. Cause I was trying to find someone that would tell me, no, it's not that it's this. Right. So so what does that mean? You know, now the medical community would be like, no, you always have it. It's incurable. It's progressive. I call BS. I say no, because I'm living proof and I'm not the only one. Now I've met so many others like me. So I say no, you know, I believe I have an MS diagnosis and I've been able to keep up my lifestyle this way and, and heal my body. Now, if I was to stop tomorrow and for the next three years, just do, you know, not do other things that I do, could I have MS? Yeah, I could probably have a lot of things. You know, I could probably get a lot of different things. So, Well, I'm just saying, I think if J-Lo heard this story, she would be the one <laughs> J-Lo. who would be inspired. Yeah, J-Lo, come on. Because, <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, like, I'm sitting here, I feel like such a schlub, man. I'm like, dang, I really need to get my stuff together. No. <laughs> 
so I heard on something you don't like you celebrate your anniversary of getting MS or being diagnosed. I celebrate my diagnosis so every year. What is my that? Birthday. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it's like my second life. I mean, I was given a diagnosis that I have talked to people who are diagnosed the same month I was yeah. the same year with the same symptom and they're in a wheelchair. And I'm in high heels about to jump on my bike and change and, you know, go on, jump on my bike and do a workout. Like it's a miracle. It's amazing. And so it's a celebration to me of life and all the things we take for granted, walking, you know, waking up and not having pain or numbness or getting scared that that day you might go blind or something terrible, you know, which is what people with MS live with every day. Is this something you even think about anymore? Or you just think about how you're living your life? No, I used to, I used to. And then I don't now. So it's very freeing. I haven't for a very long time. So if it wasn't for the fact that I do so much um, like advocacy work and just speaking on my story with MS and, and encouraging people who have been diagnosed, I would probably forget I even have it. Because even when I started getting interviews many years ago and people start interviewing me for different media and stuff, um, they would ask me, what are the symptoms? And I literally had to look them up because I refused to to look anything up, hear anything that wasn't positive, what the symptoms were, how long you could be well. Like, I just, I didn't want to hear it. If it wasn't positive, I, I just was shut off to it to the point that I didn't even know what the MS symptoms were, except for what I had. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I imagine a lot of people have reached out to you within the MS community asking like, now, of course I had to stalk your Instagram and everything. <laughs> so you're, are you, you're coming out with a book book? You're working with somebody on a cookbook. Is it specifically like, is it just health in general or specifically like a, like anti-inflammation diet type of cookbook? So I'm actually, that's, I, I'm, I'm not coming out with a cookbook. That's actually another podcast I was on with, okay, okay. with, um, Chef Maria, who has a uh, recipes for life okay. podcast. And so I just kept um, seeing that and I was like, yeah, and I, was, I listened to part I of it. I was on so. her podcast and, um, and so I, I will write a book one day. Um, I think you know, I was, I've had a lot of offers over the years, but I think like the longer I have, the more impactful I, I have. And my big dream is to one day race the Ironman in Kona. And I, there's inspirational story spots for that. And at one point they actually had a competition. Tell me when you do, I'll go cheer you Thank on. You. I love Hawaii. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm hoping, you know, one day that that happens. And, um, so I think, you know, I will one day. It's something I'm working on, but I have a lot right now that I'm doing. I'm um, well, I'm here. I'm a marketing director for our business, or so one of the the largest referral based uh, real estate um, companies in the country. My husband's agent, Robert Colello, so <laughs> the supportive one. You gotta plug <laughs> uh, it, yes, of course. And then um, I also just graduated from the Institute of Functional Medicine last year, so I have like the education behind my story. So I did everything. I watched my body heal. And now I have all the education, the scientific education of how that happened. And, and so, um, so I love speaking on my story and just teaching other people that there's another way and there's hope when they have these diagnoses or these things come up, you know, as we age, so much can happen. I mean, even there's a lot of young people have called me reached out to me in their twenties who have this disease as well. So it's not just for older people. <laughs> what do your kids remember from that time from when you were diagnosed and from kind of, do, is that something that's even top of mind? Cause they were all very still young. Yeah, They do remember we sat them down and we showed them my MRI and those, you know, in that time it was like on the big film <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, um, 
and I showed them the MRI so they could see the lesions and, and all that and, and, and talk to them about it. I was trying to prepare them because I wasn't sure it was going to happen. So they remember that. But what they what's the message they've really gotten is they always say, si se puede. And Kalelo's never quit. That's like our mantra. Aww. And they're always like, um, oh, it makes me emotional talking about it. But they're always like, yeah, my mom had a mess and she fought and she was blind. She can see she does triathlon. And so they're they're like proud. And it's really kind of so shows awesome. them like, yeah, you know what? You might have something really horrible happen, whatever, whether it's a health scare, financial, family stuff. But you know what? You can get through things. You yeah. can get through those hard times. And like I always tell them, you ride the wave. Life's just full of riding the waves, you know. Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down, sometimes you're way under. <laughs> Getting tumbled around, you know. And that's, so that's has life. the diet, has that what you do within the whole family now? Is that how you eat? You eat together within this anti? Because like you said, everything starts with inflammation. Yeah, yeah. So is that something that's kind of gone through the whole family and you guys eat together like I've, that? Or? I've tried. You know, I did mention the ho-hos in the house. Yeah. <laughs> I've tried. Um, when we they, when I first got diagnosed, I was very crazy about it. I was like, okay, no sugar in the house, no gluten in the house, like cupcake at the school for someone's party. But you can't eat that. I'll bring them their own cupcake and it'll have natural coloring. You know, it was all like that. <laughs> and then I found my daughter was going to friends' houses to eat. Like, can I go to Santa? And she'd go there to eat whatever, like, you got, had like Oreos, you got, you know, like, kind of, because she wanted the junk. And I'm like, you know, I don't want to create, like, an eating disorder or some weird relationship with food. Right. So I can't do this. So I have to just, like, lay off their kids. I've educated them to a point, and they know. And even now, like, my daughter, <laughs> she's like, these girls are on the dancing, they love going to Taco Bell. <laughs> and she'll, she'll be like... I ate there. I just didn't feel right after. I'm like, yeah, I see. You got to listen to your body. I mean, you have to see how things make you feel. And so eventually I feel like I've educated them. I talked to them about it a lot and they can make their own decisions. So as far as like, do we all eat this way? No, I won't have it in the house, but I'm not weird about it either. Like if they're going to have friends over and they want to bring stuff, I've had to kind of chill out on it, but they're very well educated. They know what they're supposed to do. They know about inflammation. They know about coloring. They know about all this stuff. But that's so, good. But like anything, right? We we want to tell our kids, like, be safe, make good decisions, don't yeah. go online and do it. And after a while, you just have to step back, and you're more of the coach, you know, than the policeman. But it's <laughs> awesome that they're edu- that they've been educated on yes. it because I think that's so key for everybody. So many people, mm-hmm. like you, even said yourself prior to being diagnosed, yeah. you weren't educated on vitamin deficiencies. Nothing. You weren't educated on how food can heal you or hurt you. You weren't educated on health as a whole. Right. I think that's just, unfortunately, that's so much of our society. That's why we have such an obese society at this point, because I was just watching a documentary the other day, like doctors, and I have a lot of physician friends, but doctors aren't necessarily, or not necessarily, they aren't trained on nutrition when they go to medical school. They're really not. And it's sad. And something a lot of people don't realize they're trained on diagnosing you and putting you in a box of symptoms and medicating you. That's what they're trained on. They're trained very little on what food can do and and how to eat and solving deficiencies. That's just not something it's a foreign language to a lot of them. And that's why a lot of doctors who are in the alternative and the functional medicine, integrative medicine, they were regular doctors at one point. And then something happened, whether in their family or in their own life, that they went that way because they realized, I'm just giving people medicine. I'm, I'm not solving the root cause of where this is coming from. I'm just coming up with medication. Now, I'm not anti-medication. There's a place for it. But how many times you walk into a doctor and they really sit with you for a good while and talk to you about 
how do you handle your stress? Like what kind of stress do you have in your life and how do you handle that? And, you know, what's your diet like and what's your, what's your physical activity like? What do you do? What do you like? And how does it work for you? And no, it's like five minutes. Like my diagnosis was like five minutes, lesions, this, this, this next. That's so bam, crazy. Bam, bam, Parkinson's, boom, 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 Medicaid. And that's kind of how it is. And when I went to my Ayurvedic neurologist, I was shocked because I was getting uncomfortable. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's been like half an hour. It's been 40 minutes. She sat with me, talked to me, got to know me. And it was amazing. But I was so used to just being like, bam, 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 next, next. <laughs> That's that's so spend time with me. It is. And and I think things are changing in in because we're asking for it. You yeah. know? The people are, are asking for a different way. So it's coming. It's more common now. Thank <laughs> you so much for sharing your story. Oh, thank you. I'm like I mean. it's so it's I, when you were telling me and when we met on Facebook and you're, we're emailing back and forth, yeah. and you were saying, I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to hear this whole story because I like to go in knowing just enough to add, to form the questions, but I don't want to know too much because I want to have like genuine reactions. Yes. Yes. Because, and to ask, you know, I'm just going to genuinely ask based on what we're talking about. So there's, so there's a few questions that I um, always ask. Okay, everybody. So uh, first, what do you I think you already answered this. So I'm just going to ask it anyway. Okay. Like, what do you wish you had known when you had started out like versus now? Like, It could be about this or it could be about anything that you wish you had the knowledge of then that you have now. Hmm. I think I would have loved to have had the knowledge of like, what is health? You know, and so many times we think it's physical and it is, but it's also emotional and mental and spiritual. And I had to really learn that, um, that once I was, you know, healed and racing all these triathlons and everything, I had to stop and go, Whoa, I got to deal with like all this crap. There's still life there. Yeah. Like, wow. Like I had a lot of stuff happen in my childhood. It's like really popping up here. Like, what is that? And, And that's just as important health as is the other things. And so I love that mental health is more talked about now because that's all part of it. You don't have to have, you know, some huge thing in your life that you're like having to go away somewhere and, you know, take a break. I mean, sometimes it's just day to day things that come up with trauma that we've gone through at whatever age. And there's so much there. And so I wish I would have known that younger and had more grace on myself and more knowledge of that to be able to work through that. And not how to do it when I had four kids. Uh, <laughs> no, I love that. What makes you curious now? Oh my gosh. I am really into this whole trauma thing. Like I, I've been doing a lot of trauma work and there's a lot of new things with trauma. That's not just talk therapy. It's energy healing and, and our bodies hold memory, our cells hold memory. And so there's, you actually have to release that. And there's amazing modalities out there and there's so much out there. So I'm just that's my thing lately. I'm just so curious. Um, what is something that you failed at? And it doesn't have to be like, oh, I was fired for a job. But what is something where you're just like, shit, I, I really failed at that. But sure. you're able to kind of pick yourself up. You know what? I'll be really raw here. Um, I think I failed at my marriage for a long time. I think I was a really bad wife. <laughs> I think... Um, you know, I think because I did have so much trauma and stuff that happened to me, I, I didn't realize how that was like affecting my relationship. And my husband's a saint and he's very loving and patient. But I, I do look back sometimes like, wow, like those first few years, like I really sucked as a wife and a partner. Like I would not have wanted to be married to me. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, and I think it was a, you know, a great learning lesson. And I, 
definitely learned a lot. I'm glad I saw it, you know, because I think a lot of people learn that after they are divorced and they start really looking at their marriage and saying, Hmm, what happened here? So, so going through it, I'm like, wow, that was, that was bad. I definitely had a few failure of a years there, even though people probably would have thought it if they saw us. Thank you. (laughs) Well, let's go to the fun, the final fun things. What is your favorite word? It can be curse word or it doesn't have to be a curse word. It can be whatever, like just in general, I have some people, my favorite word is this, but just in general, what is your favorite word? Well, I mean, I do have a favorite bad word, but I won't, I guess we won't talk about that one. I, <laughs> I do love the word hope, which is, I, I just love, I love everything that encompasses that word because I feel like I've, I know what it's like to not have any hope and feel really hopeless. Mm-hmm. So I think that when you have hope, you have everything. And so to me, that is probably my favorite word and everything it encompasses. What <laughs> is your favorite go-to order what do you consider your hometown and what do you consider your hometown? Well, all of San Diego, because I'm all over the place, like all uh-huh. the time. Yeah. So for so favorite, what would you consider your favorite go-to order at a restaurant in San Diego? Oh, for sure. It would be at um, True Foods Kitchen, which is at Fashion Valley. And it's a doctor who has an anti-inflammatory pyramid. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's this really healthy food that's very good. I mean, if you went there, you'd never realize what it's based on and that you're eating things that are like very good for your body and feeding you at a cellular level and all that. And so they have this grain bowl that's so good. And they have, it has these sweet potatoes that taste like platano frito, not like sweet potato. Really? It's just a savory, very nutritious meal. You can add fish, you can add steak, chicken to it. And it's amazing. And that's my to go to. (laughs) Okay. So we always close with wine. Red, white, or rosé, and do you have a particular type of wine that you like? So, okay, so I, you know, I love sweet wine because I don't drink a lot of wine. Having been an athlete all these years, it's not I don't drink wine on the daily or anything. But when I do, I love Moscato and dessert wines. But I am so spoiled. I live right by two really amazing wineries, and one of them is Ophelia, and they have a Merlot. Um, that is just so amazing and they have a lot of great wines, but it's just cool that it's right up the street. So I would say, I tend to go more like the fruity sweet love. Oh, nice. <laughs> well, salud. Salud. Thank gracias. you so much. Muchísimas gracias también because I'm so happy. I'm so glad I finally got to be able to meet you and we got to do this in person. Your story is so inspiring and I cannot wait to see like where you continue to go and grow from here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Gracias, everybody. Saludos. Thank you so much to Aurora for sharing your story You guys, I don't know about you, but listening to Aurora's story just blows my mind. Not only did she have to deal with so much with having this really young family and coming to California not knowing anybody, but she had to deal with this huge emotional and physical thing. So to be able to come out of it as strong and happy and healthy as she is, is such an inspiration to me. And I hope that you found inspiration in her story as well. All of the information that she shared will be in the show notes, um, as well as the links to some of the interviews that she has done. 
You know what I'm going to ask next, guys. Do you have a story that needs to be told or some know someone who does? Then please reach out to me via my social media channels. You can reach me on Instagram at The Wine and Cheesemit and on Facebook, The Wine and Cheesemit Podcast because I want to hear your story. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Cheesemit, please subscribe. Rating and reviews are always appreciated, and those five stars are appreciated even more. Until next time, saludos.